How's that? Is that better? <laughs> Mike and I had a conversation about the fact that I shouldn't switch myself off, and I did. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. You will not believe the panic over this passage from certain members of the worship group. When they found out it was Jesus washing the disciples' feet, they said, Phil is bound to get us to wash each other's feet. <laughs> Hence, quick looking up internet for last-minute pedicure appointments. Okay? Um, don't worry, I don't think we're going to be doing that, but you never know. <laughs> Let's wait and see what happens. So, uh, anyway, moving on. Um, have you ever had to cram for an exam? Last minute, you know you've got to do something for the exam next day, and you think, I, I, I need to know what it is. There's some teachers in, in here. Um, have you ever wanted to try and get kind of the whole curriculum summed up in like a few words so that the young person can go and do the exam, and then next day it'll be fine? Have you ever kind of thought, how can I distill it down so they get the message? Yeah? No? Okay. <laughs> well, anyone know what this phrase means? Cods do whisk. Oh, come on. I'll tell you the story. Neve, um, my daughter, was coming and saying to me that she had a geography exam the next day, and she needed to learn um, something. And so we came up with cods do whisk. Now, come on. It's a geography thing. You should... No? It's the southern counties of England. Cornwall, Devon, Somerset, Dorset, Wiltshire, Hampshire, Surrey, and Sussex and Kent. Cods do whisk. Now, at least you've learned something today. <laughs> All right? Last-minute revision. Cramming. This is the night before Jesus dies. This is the Last Supper. And Jesus' words to his disciples are the last-minute revision notes, the last things that he can say to them. Anyone's last words are important. But these are potent things that Jesus wants to get across. He wants to get across the kernel of who he is, what he's about. He just wants them to get the message before he's no longer present with them each day, teaching them the way that he had been. And so he has a couple of memory aids. Okay, These are his revision notes for his disciples. We know when we're going to celebrate one a little bit later on, bread and wine, the body and blood of Jesus. We're so used to that. But he does something else. Oops, go back. He washes his disciples' feet. Something hugely, radically powerful. You know that Jesus is a storyteller, don't you? Yeah, everyone knows that. He's a cracking storyteller. Did you know Jesus was a cracking actor as well? This is not a joke. Jesus acts something here. He does a performance for these guys to remember by. And it's such a radically disturbing performance to make sure he'll never forget them. Um, some people will remember this, either the story or the event. I was trying to get something across to a youth group one time about... Sarah's laughing already, and Tom's laughing. You know exactly where I'm going with this. They were there. Um, do you know when you read your Bible notes, and you're in a rush, so you read the notes, and you don't read the Bible bit? Just me then. Okay. <laughs> Liars. Okay. Um, well, anyway, the youth group I was leading at that point kind of said, yeah, yeah, we do that. Or, uh, yeah, we don't really read our Bible, but, you know, we get so much out of listening to worship music, man. And uh, wasn't it the... <laughs> it was. 
And I was getting kind of, um, but I want to get across that you shouldn't just kind of use other people's reflections. So I gave one of the young men in the, in the group, I gave him a, a Cadbury's chocolate finger and I said, here, have a chocolate finger. And I started eating the chocolate finger and I said, okay, well, spit it out. And he spat it out in my hand. And then I went, okay, and I ate it. Yeah, I should have put a warning before that, shouldn't I? It's also a salient lesson. Think through your illustrations before you do them. Let me tell you, every one of them remembers that event. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure they remember what it was about. No, I think they do. Because it was utterly shocking. This, what Jesus does here, is utterly shocking. We know the story. We've got it implanted in our heads. But it's more than just Jesus telling us how to be nice to one another. This is loaded. This is loaded potentially with theology, Christology, it's something really powerful. It's not just Jesus showing us how to clean disciples' feet. Go through the story with me. Jesus gets up from the table, takes off his outer clothing. Yes, he gets down to his underpants. I'm not being irreverent. He takes off his outer clothing. You can imagine the disciples going, what's the master doing? He's stripping off. What's going on here? And then he takes a towel and wraps it around him. A towel that makes him look like a slave. In fact, washing people's feet in those days wasn't just a slave's job. It wasn't even, it was so bad, Jewish slaves weren't allowed to do it. The Midrash talks about Gentile slaves are the only ones that should wash feet. Because feet are a bit manky. I once did a, an illustration, maybe you remember, I did it at church meeting one time. I did it with a bunch of youth leaders. And we got these youth leaders in a circle. And I said to everybody, please take off your shoes and socks. This is why these guys were worried. Um, take off your shoes and socks and turn to the person next to you and say, you have beautiful feet. All right? Because it was about how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. After a cracking illustration until one guy, bless his socks, actually lack of them, um, he took his shoes and socks off. I don't think I've seen more disgusting feet ever. I mean, we'd been camping, put it that way. Okay? They were filthy. The toenails weren't cut. They were monkey. There were bits of, I don't know, creatures underneath the nails. They, okay, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> they were not pretty. And yet one of the other leaders, a beautiful young lady, turned to him and without laughing, mocking or anything, said to him, you have beautiful feet. He didn't. But you have beautiful feet because you bring the good news of Jesus. This guy's feet were monkey. The disciples' feet were was worse. They would have been dusty. Not just dusty. That's the nice good news version. It would have been walking and stuff that you really don't want to think about. It was a, an agricultural society. There would be muck on their feet. They walked for miles in woodeny hard sandals, calloused. They didn't have regular pedicures at the Jerusalem spa. That wouldn't have been a pretty sight. And Jesus, down on his knees, washing their feet and drying them with a towel. And then he gets up after washing their feet, puts on his clothes, and sits back down again. This is the sketch, the drama, the act that Jesus does. If you want to read the script of it, it's in Philippians chapter 2, who being in very nature God, did not consider being God something to be held onto, so he divested himself of his glory. He made himself nothing, and he took on the nature of a servant. He put a towel around him. And being found as a man, he humbled himself, a humiliating act of service, and he surrendered to death on a cross. But because he did that, 
God exalted him to the highest place and he put his clothing back on and he took his place by the throne of God. Here is the story of Jesus in a nutshell. We sang earlier on, I love Lord, I lift your name on high because of the chorus. It's got that in a nutshell. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay from the cross to the grave, grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. It's like your revision notes of the gospel and Jesus does the same thing. Now you see this is more than just washing feet. This is Jesus saying, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. This is powerful stuff. It has recollections of John 1 and 14, where Jesus, it says, John writes, he pitched his tent with us. He lived among us. The creator of the cosmos who holds galaxies in his hand became a baby. Someone once said, you should never, ever get too full of yourself. Remember, God became a baby. And he walked among us in dirt and grime. This is the story of Jesus. Incarnation, identification, humiliation and sacrifice, then ascension and glory. And you get it, when when he's with Peter, he says to Peter, you don't understand yet, but you will understand. You'll get this. You'll get this. And this is all shocking to the disciples. This is, what's he on? What's going on here? This is really shaming them. They are shocked, ashamed, discomforted. Another hashtag awkward moment. And then if anyone is going to uh, express what they think, it's going to be Ian Paisley. I mean, Peter. (laughs) No! No! Jesus, you're not washing my feet. No. I wonder whether Peter's responses are common responses to what Jesus has done for us. Common responses to Jesus offering his gift of himself to us. Maybe it's the, I don't want Jesus to do this. A little while ago, um, I was talking with um, a friend, and they were a bit upset about a number of different things in, in their life, and we said to her, you know, Jesus died for you, and she said, yeah, but I wish he hadn't. I, I wish he hadn't done it. Because it's my sin, it's my problem, I should fix it. It sounds very humble. It's actually, it's actually a kind of pride. I want to do it myself. It's an awareness that we are sinful, but that Jesus offers to wash, and we say, no, I don't want you to. Jesus' response to that is, I have to wash you in order for you to be part of me, to be one of my followers. I have to wash you. So Peter... He's not one extreme, but he's the other. I mean, he didn't do half measures. No, 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 no. Okay, yes, all of me. Head, hands, feet, everything. And I wonder whether that's the kind of, I'm so sinful, I have to confess the same sins every single day, but just to make sure. And one of the most powerful things I, I learned as a, as a child in church was when we go to Jesus and say that we're sorry, he forgives us. If we go the next day and say, Lord, I'm sorry again, and he says, again? Because he chooses to forget our sins. But we sometimes can have the habit of having to go back over and over again. Old sins. Maybe because we're not very good at forgiving ourselves for things that we've done. And maybe that's connected to the fact we don't fully accept God's forgiveness for us. We don't really take it on board that we are forgiven because of what Jesus did. Or maybe because our sins are still active and alive and we're letting them get away. We're too dirty for Jesus to cleanse us. 
So Jesus responds, says, if you've had a bath, you just need to wash your feet. If you've had a bath, you need to keep your feet clean. This is not like a topping up of salvation. It's not like your phone charger. Remember, feet is where a person met the world. And I think Jesus is saying, when you walk this world, it will soil you. So make sure you're keeping your feet clean. When we walk this world, we are surrounded by temptation and strife and angst and we respond badly and we take on the grime of the world. And Jesus says, just regularly keep it clean. You are clean, just keep your feet clean. Keep short accounts with each other and with God. The importance of confession. Um, When we first started the series of John, um, Lisa sent out a challenge to say, um, read John seven times. And it says that you will fall in love with Jesus all over again. I took that as a bit of a challenge. And I did. I read it. I read John and I read John and I read John. It got me a bit confused of going, this is massive deja vu going on here at times. Something leapt out of me. Do you know when you've read a verse and you kind of go, I knew it was there, but then it just wants to jump up and slap you across the face? Something occurred to me when reading this passage. One of the times I was reading through it. It said, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Verse 11 tells us that he knew whose feet he was washing. Jesus washed Judas's feet with the same level of care and attention and tenderness as any of the other ones. The man who he knew was going to betray him to death, who he'd had walk alongside him for three years, a trusted companion who he loved dearly, was going to betray him. And Jesus still took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around him, got on his knees in front of Judas, and washed his feet, dried them with the towel. He also washed Peter, a denier's feet. He also washed Thomas. He was a bit of a doubter as well. He washed James and John, who kind of wanted to be first place and kept arguing about it. He washed the feet of an embezzling tax collector. He washed the feet of a freedom-fighting terrorist and all the others who fleed away from Jesus at his biggest moment of need. He washed every one of their feet and dried it with his servant's towel. That smacked me across the face that Jesus washes our feet too knowing that our feet are going to get dirty again. Having all the power in the universe, that's what it says earlier on, having all power under him, Jesus could have wiped Judas off the face of the earth, but instead he wipes his feet. What's that about? What's that about? How can we serve those who enslave us? How can we bless those who betray us? How can we pray for our prosecutors? How can we reach out to those who hurt us and serve them? I'm sorry, it's cheesy, but the answer is love. But this is love. Do you know the song? I think it's 1980s and 1990s. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me that one. Yeah, no one's going to sing it, thankfully. This is Jesus. You want to know what love is? I'm going to show you what love is. This is what love is. Forget the roses and the fluffy whatever. This is love. Vast as the ocean. Loving kindness as the flood. The prince of life for ransom gave for us his precious blood. 
how could Jesus do this? We have to go to the beginning of the chapter. It says, Jesus, having loved them, he showed them the full extent of his love, or he loved them to the end, to the utmost. Another way of reading it is he loved every single last one of them. He showed them what love looked like. He demonstrated it in his act that he does before them. This is what love looks like. And how did he know what love looks like? Because that was him. God is love. He knew exactly who he was. Love couldn't do anything else but do what Jesus did. I'm intrigued by, if you look at verse 3, it says this, Jesus knew that the Father put all things under his power. He'd come from God and he was going to God. Jesus could serve these guys because he was sure of who he was. He was certain of his position. I asked this at the 915 and got mixed response. Do you think Jesus is being a servant here? Do you? It's not rhetorical. Do you? I don't think so. Because it says later on, you call me teacher and Lord and you're right, I am. He knows exactly who he is. I'm not saying you're wrong. He knows exactly. He doesn't think at any moment that he is a servant. I'm pretending to be a servant. He is Lord and teacher and king. Which is why he can say, if I, your Lord and Master, can do this, then you can too. He knows exactly who he is. He can serve from a place of security because I think sometimes we live and we act and serve from a place of insecurity and lack of identity. I talked to someone just recently who, who was having a bit of a, a panic about you know, feeling insecure. Um, she said, oh, I can't believe it. You know, uh, 47-year-old woman feeling insecure. And I said, I'm sorry, I think most people are insecure. We're mostly insecure teenagers with older clothes. We all have our own foibles, our own insecurities, our own weaknesses. How much does that affect how we live and work, how it affects our identity? Well, Jesus knew exactly who he was in relation to the Father. That was his fuel. He was secure in his lordship. He didn't have to show it off. He didn't have to carry out these massive miracles for himself. In fact, throughout John, you see in John 2 and 8 and 7 and 5, all through those chapters, Jesus says, I don't want the praise of people. I'm looking for the affirmation of my Father. I don't need credit from people. He knew his place, and from there he served. That's how we should serve, not from our places of insecurity and hoping people might like us if we do this. Where do we gain our security from, our identity, from our work, from our salary, from position, from possessions, from our achievements, from our roles, from our relationships, from seeking affirmation and approval and acceptance from others? When Jesus says, I accept you, I love you. So serve from there. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. This is humility. I both love and loathe this word. Humility is not thinking the worst of yourself. Humility is not putting yourself down and thinking that you are a slave to all, oh, wretched me. Humility is knowing exactly who you are in Christ and still being prepared to serve. Jesus demonstrates that. That knowing he was God, he didn't hold on to it for his own advantage, but he became nothing. He didn't need to prove anything. He didn't need to prove anything. Jesus could do all he did because of the security in his relationship with the Father. And because of that certainty, he didn't need to be served, and he didn't need to serve. Is that about us sometimes, that we need to serve 
to feel important or we need to be served. Others do things for us to make us feel valued. Jesus didn't need to do either of those. He chose to serve from a position of authority and power. He chose to serve. Then he says, do you understand what I've done for you? Do you get it, Jesus says? Do you, do you get what I've just done? I've given you this picture of what I do for you. Do you get it? He says, I've set you an example. Do you remember the generation game? Do you remember that? Was it Larry Grayson? Who else did it? Was it Jim Davidson? Bruce Forsyth. Good guy. Yeah. I was really bad. Sorry. Generation game, where they used to have an expert come on. It was usually making a clay pot, wasn't it? And they'd do a really wonderful clay pot, and then the contestants would come, and they would try and do the same thing. They would follow the pattern. That's what Jesus says. He uses the word example, but the word actually means pattern, like a knitting pattern. I used to do a bit of knitting when I was younger. I mean, it was a big thing for the youth group at one point, wasn't it? All the blokes sitting there going, knitting, whoa. And uh, you'll see there's a big, big knitted thing in my office. That's, yeah, I was involved in that. But... Following a pattern, you'll get a jumper. If you don't follow a pattern, you'll get a knot. Trust me. We follow the pattern, we'll get it right. But the pattern is not about washing feet. Now, I appreciate the guys were really a bit worried that we were going to end up washing each other's feet. There are no basins, no towels. Don't worry, we're not going to do that. But the worry is that once a year, Monday, Thursday, people in lovely robes and ministers and vicars decide to show what you do is by getting down and washing someone's feet. It's beautiful. It is lovely. But we can't sacramentalize what Jesus does here. Because he says, I've set you an example. It doesn't mean that we have to wash, literally wash each other's feet. It's a beautiful symbol. But what is serving one another now? What is cleaning the dirt and the calluses off someone's feet today between you and me and that person beside you? And that person on the other side of the church who wound you up chronically last week? Or that person over there who really, I don't agree with their position theologically. Or that person who did that to my friend. How do we serve those people? Because Jesus says, well, I did it, so what's your problem? We follow his example. Otherwise, it's a bit like remembering the mnemonic and not what it stands for. It's remembering cods do whisk and putting that as your answer in a geography question. And going, what was the problem? I just forgot what it meant. The image is about what Jesus has done for us and our response to it. Who's got a fish in their car? Don't worry, I'm not going to criticize you, all right? It's all right. I call them Christian cars. Not as if these cars are going to go to heaven and others aren't. I don't mean that. One time we were going to spring harvest and uh, me and, um, and another people in another car, we had a game between here and, and Skegness to see who would ha- count the most fish. Trust me, as we got closer to Skegness, it started to rocket a number of fish. And then, I'm sorry, I won, but I won three cheating, forgive me. I went into the car park and just went along. One, two, three, four. <laughs> it's a sign of belonging, the same way as a cross. But actually, is this our sign of belonging? Actually, Jesus said, a new command I give to you, love one another As I have loved you, as I've just shown you how to love, that's how you love one another. And by this, people will know that you're my disciples. Not just about the cross you wear or the fish on your car or the fact you're at church or the fact that you walk around with a Graham Kendrick is cool t-shirt on. Doesn't matter. I know you've got them. People will know because you love one another. 
That's how you'll know. And do you want to know what love is? Just remember that little sketch I did for you earlier where I took off my outer clothing, became a slave, and washed your feet. That's what love looks like. That's the sign of belonging. Have you been loved? Had to put it in there. I was paid to. No, Andrew. Love from a place of having been loved. Serve from a place of having been served. You can't read this. Sorry, it says, we love because he first loved us. That is where we love from. Not from a place of insecurity or needing to feel valued or needing to think that we are, the only thing we can do is clean up after everybody. We love because he first loved us. We serve because he served us by dying on the cross for us. That, my friends, is what love looks like. And that's why Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Amen. I don't know where the band is. Where are you? Do you want to come up?